Well, hello, folks. This is Gene Mims. I'm here with Jared Runyon, our 20-year-old. I'm here with Jeff Mims, our 40-year-old. And uh, you're here with me, the 60-year-old. And uh, it's an exciting day in Nashville because it's raining, and we're all happy about that. But today we're going to talk about when leaders endure hardship, specifically uh, the hardship of suffering and the pressure it is when you, uh, upon a leader when you either are experiencing hardship and suffering, how private that is, or it tends to be. And so we're going to start today by letting Jeff tell his story. Jeff went through some medical hardship, and he's going to tell his story, and we're going to, we're going to kind of piggyback off of that. So uh, welcome, guys. And Jeff, why don't you just take it away? Yeah, so for any of you who wouldn't be familiar with this, to fill in some of the details, in 2013 I was uh, living my life like I guess anyone would. I was running uh, exercising, doing all the right things. I thought, um, had just come off a, I guess maybe a year before where I'd run a, uh, pretty long distance race, done some things like that, had small kids, uh, one in preschool, one in early elementary school. And we went into the fall of 2013 and in about, uh, middle of November, I just became really fatigued and really, uh, nauseated feeling. Went to a couple of doctors, uh, thinking maybe I had the flu because I just kind of couldn't beat it and whatnot and uh, went out of town and was actually speaking at a friend of mine's church trying to get away from from here for a little rest and relaxation and was uh, doing doing a little speaking for him it was it was a great weekend but it, it had kind of culminated right before we left that day I had told my wife that my my hands were hurting my elbow was hurting I, I just couldn't shake the nauseated feeling and the next morning when I woke up, I was essentially seeing double. And as I went through the day, I realized that I had lost the left side of my tongue. I, it felt like I'd been at the dentist. Couldn't, couldn't really get the feeling. But I thought, well, I've drank some hot coffee this morning. Maybe I just kind of burned it or is it that kind of thing. Uh, kind of didn't want to maybe admit all that was I was feeling. Preached for him the next day. We drove home. Uh decided that I would go to the doctor on that Monday and get a physical done, tell him kind of what was going on, was having, just kind of couldn't shake the feeling. Went and saw a guy in our church, had the physical done, blood work came back normal, told him about the symptoms. He said, well, if they don't clear up in a day or so, maybe by the first of next week, we need to think about a, uh, an MRI. As I went through the week, it progressively got worse. I think, was that... Also, uh, during that time, we were putting a roof on Justin's garage, you remember? Oh, yeah. I was up on top of a roof. Yeah. Was that during? That was. Same time. My brother in law, we were building his garage. So that week, all leading up to that, had been doing that. It was just a lot going on. And you had been gone maybe to Romania. So I had spoken like six times in the previous week before at our own church with different things. We just launched a new ministry for young adults. We were calling Thursday Church. Just a lot going on. Uh, I couldn't shake the feeling things weren't getting better. I went back and saw the doctor on that Friday morning and said, it's not better. Do you think I have shingles? Do you think? And he said, he said, look, man, we've got to rule out a couple of serious things like, you know, brain tumor. We need to rule out like multiple sclerosis. I think you ought to have an MRI done. I said, all right, that's fine. We had the MRI done. And that night he called me and he said, Hey, I don't really know how to tell you this. I'm not a neurologist. I haven't seen it. I'm reading the initial report, but you have a lesion on your brain and it looks like it's very suspicious for multiple sclerosis. That was, uh, on a Friday night, right. The, the week before Thanksgiving. And so it was just, 
it was a whirlwind because I didn't know anything about multiple sclerosis. I, I wasn't familiar with it. We'd done like a multiple sclerosis readathon when I was in elementary school, and that was kind of my extent of it. I didn't think I even knew anyone with multiple sclerosis, um, and kind of just spent that weekend kind of reeling from it, truthfully. Uh, you know, not. I mean, it was it was an emo. I was I would I would just say that I was pretty much an emotional basket case. And one of the hardest conversations to have was to, you know, my wife and I had filled out, you know, these uh, do not resuscitate kind of forms in the past. And we kind of sat down and had this conversation about, you know, what are we talking about long-term health? And me just saying, like, I am not interested in being, like, in some place where you're just having to prop me up for the rest of my life. I don't want to do it. And I remember coming over to your, to mom and dad, my mom and dad's house and just saying, look, we got to have this conversation. I don't know what's coming, but I've already told my wife this. And I need y'all to go along with whatever she says. And I don't know if you guys would remember that it's just a heartbreaking case, the Terry Shivo case that had yeah. taken place in Florida where a husband and parents were not on the same page or is even an ex-husband then not on the same page about her care and just the the disunity that surrounded that. And it was a horrible situation, the, the whole thing. So you, your whole world stops, even as a parent. Uh, of course, we're in, we're stunned, you know. And I begin to b- project forward, you know, if he's not here, uh, what does this mean, obviously, for Kathy and the children? Mm-hmm. And your, your immediate thought is, uh, I'll stop. Your mom and I said, we'll stop whatever, we'll stop right now. And take care of this. We, yeah. we don't have to lead. We don't have to preach. We're going to stop, and and that family is going to be taken care of. So that was a, you know, that was a. Pre- now, uh, I remember, I, you know, I had a different reaction. My reaction was, "What the heck? We got to beat this. Come on, let's get fired up. Let's go." And uh, Ann was different. She was like, "Well, you know, Ann steady." She was like, "Well, we don't know yet." And I said, well, "We don't have to know. We're going to have to beat this. Let's go." Mm-hmm. And of course, Jeff was in a different place emotionally because, you know, he, was, he, he doesn't know. He's thinking about so many things that I'm not thinking about. So it's amazing the different reactions totally. that were going on. Well, go ahead. Well, and I'll tell you, just one of the – that you know, that weekend, Kathy has the bright idea that we ought to put up the Christmas tree. It was horrible. Like, yeah. I, I cannot tell you – like, having – you're pulling out and – and I'll tell you what did it for me. And I don't know if I can even say without crying now because it was such a real moment. We had these little ornaments that you make when you're a kid, and one of them was a cut-out little – picture of myself you know like maybe in the third grade or something like that and I saw it and was putting it on the tree and I had to leave the family go shut the door to the bathroom ball my eyes out Mm. because you're real you're realizing everything changed yesterday and it's over like what life as we have known it is over my son says let's go throw the baseball outside and the first throw that he throws hits me in the face because I'm seeing double and I have to go inside and say, I, I, I can't, dad can't play right now. And I go in the bathroom again and ball my eyes out because I can't, I, it, it's just like all of a sudden it was so real. So uh, just to, to interject something here, you're obviously uh, not thinking about, uh, you're not thinking about church and leadership. You are, but you're not. So uh, I kind of remember we were saying, you know, let's let's don't talk about this right now. Let's don't mm-hmm. get the church involved with this, which is that leader's dilemma again. You know, you're suffering, and you lead people, and you're the strong one always, 
mm-hmm. and nothing's ever happened to our family, you know. Yep. And so we don't want to share this with anybody right now. Of course, we didn't know either, but sure. so go ahead. Well, it made it interesting because that was a big argument that Kathy and I, and when I say argument, it, it was we weren't yelling at each other or anything, but we were we were on very different sides of the page about what we should do because Sunday was coming, and I felt like I needed to come to church and I needed to be with my life group class and be able to share this with them. But then I told her I was going to initiate that Sunday night I was going to preach and that I was going to initiate a call to prayer. And she vehemently disagreed. That She said, we don't know. We haven't seen a neurologist yet. And I said, so what should we wait till they tell you you're dying of cancer before we pray for you? The doctor said this. Let's begin to pray. Let's ask people to come alongside us and pray. That's a very different uh, reaction. That, that, that's and To me, that's very healthy. Uh, I wouldn't have done that in a million years. Yeah, That's a personality quirk. But uh, my deal is if I'm going to suffer, turn the lights off, don't tell anybody. Uh, and, you know, a lot of times I've had issues and I've told, <laughs> I've told Anne, don't tell anybody, you know, not even the kids, you know, we got to work through this. But I thought it was so healthy for what Jeff was thinking about doing. Well, it was interesting. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead Can we talk about that for a second? I feel like that's a really yeah. cool thing to, to hit on there is like, okay, so if vulnerability as a whole and being transparent with people is healthy, right? We would all agree that you should not keep this under wraps until all of a sudden, where's Jeff? Nobody ever talked about it. That's one side of the coin. Sure. And the other side is like the Facebook friend who's like Facebook status every day. Hey, can I get some prayer for this? It's like you could be too vulnerable at the same time. Sure. Where's the line in leadership between being vulnerable in a way that brings health and overall strength to them. I think a lot of it is personality. Uh, I really am at heart an introvert. And so any kind of recognition or spotlight, you know, no matter how much an introvert craves that, you know, and don't, don't be fooled. Everybody craves self glorification or recognition, whatever. But when it comes, it's almost devastating. Hmm. So for me, it's kind of a, a personality thing. It's, and, and then I guess a lot of it is, well, why would anybody be interested in that? You know, I, I mean, I got to go through this. They got their own problems out here, which I, you know, I know that's not the best, but, but for me, it's just sort of a personality thing. And that's how I was raised. That's how I grew up. You never told anybody anything. You know, you had to be half dead to go tell your mom and they gave you, you know, <laughs> rubbed alcohol on you or gave you two aspirin and said, shut up. But you just suffer. You know, yeah. it's just, it's not the leadership thing so much. I think it's a personality thing. Jeff's, Jeff and I are, are different personalities that way. Yeah, and I think there's a there's a fine line. Sometimes you can maybe there's the leader that reveals too much all the time and becomes a little bit ineffective in their ability to lead because they're always telling you how much they're struggling or what you, I, you, I, you know. Yeah, I will say this, when I came to Judson as interim, uh the church was in such a position in reference to the to its leadership past that I felt like I, I needed to be a little more vulnerable. So I'd tell about these crazy thoughts I have or, you know, I wanted to punch this guy out or whatever, and everybody would laugh. And then they would say, hey, he's just like us. That's what was needed at the time. But I won't, t- I won't tell you what, it was totally foreign to me to yeah. do that. But I just realized that was for the church. And, uh, uh, you know, I wasn't – I was the interim pastor. I wasn't thinking about being the pastor here. But I've been much more vulnerable that way. But it's not easy. I love that. I think that there's something so powerful when people can relate to the issue. You know, it's like mm-hmm. some, a leadership 
position talks about, hey, I'm struggling with this or I have this going on and somebody, you know, can gain a lot of encouragement from that. But back to your story, when did you guys make the decision to tell church and I just decided I was going to do it that night. I mean, I just I told Kathy I was going to do it. It's funny. You can you can look back to 2013 and if you look at the Sunday before Thanksgiving, it's it's a funny thing because I I've, I've gone back and you can listen to the message and it's about 13 minutes because the guys cut it and edited it out that that part of it afterwards. And uh, I don't know if there's actually a, a a CD that even exists on it. I've never even thought about it like that. But it's a it's a funny service because I basically called the church to pray for me, but in, for anyone else. And we had maybe six or seven people, people that came forward that mm-hmm. night who said, "Man, I'm struggling with this physically. Would you lay hands on us, pray for us?" And the church did. And what what was funny about that experience for me uh, was it was the first night that I wasn't an emotional basket case because what happened is you're sitting there and the way we kind of did it that night, which we've changed it a little bit, just in the interest of time, we used to sit maybe six chairs in a row and everyone would walk by and pray individually for those people. And I mean, it took a long time. Uh, But what happened is people were coming by me and praying for me and they were crying. And what Kathy and Kathy was sitting beside me, what we discovered was that as the night wore on, their tears for us took the place of ours. So we weren't crying anymore. And I'll never, I'll never forget uh, one of the things that one of the guys said is, as he came through, he prayed for me, and, and I believe that he either grabbed me by the hand or grabbed me by the face, but it was like, look at me, it was Tom Dooley. Tom said, I'm going to tell you something I heard your dad say to me when I was going through something a long time ago, and, and you need to hear me. Don't waste this crisis. Don't waste it. God's going to do something. Even if he doesn't heal you, don't waste the crisis. It will be for his kingdom, his glory. Yeah. And, you know, we ended up getting into the neurologist the next week. Uh, well, come, didn't, didn't we get the word like Thanksgiving night? It was or, Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. They, we were up here at the gym or something. Yeah, we'd been at the gym at a like a basketball tournament here. And I'd had a spinal tap. I'd had MRIs. I mean, it was crazy. And uh, they call me back and say, hey, you you don't have multiple sclerosis. Uh, there's a protein that they look for in your spinal fluid. And he said, but I think you may have had a small stroke, and we need to look at that. And I'm like, well, that's not good. And he goes, well, it's better than having multiple sclerosis. And I'm like, really? I mean, but you can't tell me why. And he's like, yeah, it's not a big deal. So I had several more MRIs and a couple of procedures done to kind of kind of test done and whatnot before the fall of the year, and it came back and said, we think you just had a stroke. Don't worry about it. Probably won't have another one. Just a weird thing. And I was like, that ain't right. This cannot be right. Uh, in March of 2014, I told my wife, I said, I'm, I, I messed up again. And she said, you are so such a hypochondriac. And I, cause that's, I, that's cause, true. Because I am. And uh, it, I don't deny it. Uh, you know, if, if one of you in the room threw up right now, I'd leave the room because I'd be afraid I'd immediately get it. And I <laughs> it's wouldn't, all about I, Jeff. I, I wouldn't talk to you for a <laughs> week or two. So, For those of you but, that can't see, Gene's yeah. rolling in his eyes right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's, just, I, make, I make no bones about it. So, you know, there you go. And I, But I tell her, I said, no. Nah, it's his it, mother. It's, it's back she again. That's right. <laughs> And Kathy says, no, you, you know, you're, you're nervous because you have another MRI coming up. It was supposed to be the last MRI. Clear you six months after everything had happened. I said, something's not right. I lost some balance coordination and whatnot. 
And I had the MRI. And every time I'd had the MRI before, my doctor called me either that night or the next day and said, hey, everything's great. You're good. I'll see you. And he would always go. And he didn't call me. And I didn't hear from him the next day. And then his nurse called and said, doctor would like for you to come in. He wants to have a consult with you. And I said, is something wrong? He said, no. He just wants to have a consult with you. When I came in, I'll never forget the look on his face. He came in and he said, hey, you have had another stroke. And I said, okay. And he said, I have some really bad news. You have a genetic disease. It's called Catacil. There's no medicine for it. There's nothing we can do to stop it. It's going to take your short-term memory, and you're just going to keep having these. And I said, well, I mean, what does that mean? Like, what, what? And his, his words were, I would suggest you get a pile of Post-it notes. And if you're going to the store, you need to write on there and stick it on the dash of your car going to the grocery store. And I said, this just got serious, didn't it? And he said, well, it's still better than MS. And I was like, doesn't sound like it. You know, I mean, it was a, and it just, it, at that point, I, you know, I, I'll never forget just being, just being furious because it was like, okay, we just prayed and brought a whole church through. Look how God answered prayer. He doesn't have MS. This is great. Da, da, da. And it's, yeah, you don't have MS because you're going to die of catacill disease. This, there's about a 10 year life expectancy on this. You know, what was interesting during that time uh, is how many people beyond our church uh, became uh, incredibly interested in Jeff. Hmm. Uh, and, and and this kind of follows a pattern here. When Jeff was in seminary, uh, I was the interim pastor here, and our church became just unusually interested in Jeff and then Kathy. They gave him a shower. I mean, mm-hmm. Jeff, didn't, Jeff didn't know anybody here. Yep. And we didn't know people well. We knew them. They gave him a shower, you know. They were just in a baby shower after that. A baby shower after that. They weren't even living here, and uh, so something extended beyond this. I have friends in the D.C. area. They would call me and say, "Hey, our church is praying for Jeff. How's he doing?" And you know, you didn't sort of know how to say, "Well, he's okay," but but they were praying for him. And uh, even now, this is four, five years, three or four years later. You know, when I travel around, whether it's romantic mania or whatever, you see people and say, hey, how's your boy doing? Isn't that interesting? It just it kind of took a life of its own, mm-hmm. not of interest but concern. There's mm-hmm. a big difference on, you know, what's happening versus how's he doing? How's he really, really doing? That was kind of interesting. Yeah, and, and you know, it's funny because we weren't Facebooking it up. We didn't. And with the Catacill, I kind of made mention of it on a Wednesday night. You were gone maybe the next week, and I was doing the Wednesday night Bible study. And just said, look, just pray for me. They say I have this disease. I, I don't know. I, I don't. But what what happened is that day, it was funny. God had orchestrated some events that happened that day pretty special. That was on a Thursday that we had that. I had to come and preach Thursday church that night. The next day, we were slated to leave and go be with my family in Mississippi. And it was a very unusual move. Normally on those holiday weekends for spring break, we go to Kathy's folks in Virginia, but we went to go see my extended family, aunts and uncles and whatnot in Mississippi. One of the unique things about catacill disease is if you have it, generally everyone in your family has it. You you can there's there's not much resource. If, if you research it on WebMD, good luck. There's not anything there. But there was a a uh, I guess it was a, a medical school up maybe even in Rhode Island, and 
I found some information on it. And the day that we found that out, I found out it was all in your family if you had it. And I thought, I don't, I don't think it's in my family. My dad's side of the family is really small. I, I, I mean, I know my aunt is still living. Both my cousins are living. They've never been affected by it. My grandfather wasn't affected by it. We have no history of stroke. But it just worked out that we were going to be with this huge sample of family. Well, I get there, and, of course, we start talking to my aunt about it. And she's like, well, you've only ever had really one aunt that ever died of a stroke, and she was 87 years old. Well, that's just you got old and had a stroke, right? So God was even using that, and it was funny because the, the sermon that day from Pastor Guy at uh, Pelahatchee Baptist Church came out of Ecclesiastes, and, he, and it was, you know, be mindful what you say and speak hastily before the Lord, not knowing the whole matter, you know. And, man, God convicted me because I had just been furious, really, and just been kind of like, Lord, what are you doing? This is like a sucker punch to think you've come through this, and then you just nail me with this. I mean, like, what, what are you doing? And that Sunday morning, I wasn't, I was like, I don't even care if we go to church, you know, whatever, but my Aunt Martha had gotten up and said, well, are y'all going to come? She's so sweet. Way too. Yeah, it's right across the street. You know, she said, are y'all going to walk to church with me this morning? I was like, yeah, let's go. And, and God was speaking. He was using it, and I just became convinced I did not have this disease. And uh, a friend of ours had recommended we get a second opinion at Vanderbilt at the stroke clinic, and it took several months. And I'll, I'll just tell you, those months for me personally were agony, and work was a joke. I, I came to work, but I felt like a shell of a person. I felt like I was here, but that I might as well have not been here. And I felt like at home I was no good to anybody because I was just working through all of this. Uh, and... Uh, interestingly enough, I, I, I guess I've not shared this publicly too much. Uh, in May, my appointment was supposed to have happened with Vanderbilt Stroke Clinic, and, and they canceled because they had a doctor going to be out. And uh, I'd been here on a Sunday night, and a friend of ours was dying of cancer, a pastor in the area. And I, I knew he was dying of cancer, wasn't getting any better. And I'd come home, and I'd watched an interview with him talking about that, and I just became incredibly emotional. And as I was dealing with that, Kathy said, you need to turn that off. You just if This is not going anywhere good. I said, going to bed. And I just sat up, and I just began saying, Lord, I, I, you can kill me. You can keep me alive, but you cannot keep me in the dark anymore. I got to hear from you. you. Just tell me you hate me. I mean, like if if that's what it is, if if I'm a, the biggest disappointment in the world, or I'm gonna die of this, or you love me, or I, I just say something, and it was nothing. It was quiet. I went to bed. I woke up in the middle of the night. Same thing. Just praying, Lord, you've got to say something. Just speak, please. Nothing. I woke up early that morning. It was like five in the morning. I got up. I went and grabbed a devotional that Kathy had bought for us earlier in the year, and I went and sat down in this blue chair we still have. And I sat there and just read this devotional, and I was like, this is junk. I mean, it, it, it was so, like, not resonating at all. But at the bottom was a verse uh, from Psalm 34. And I had just been telling Kathy, I just believe that God is going to deliver me from catacill disease. I don't have that. I have something going on for sure. I don't have that. And God's going to deliver me. And that verse that day uh, just talked about how the angel of the Lord is encamped around those whom he loves, waiting to deliver them. And in that moment, I just began to pray. Speak to me, Lord. You've got to speak to me. Why can't what I have going on be something mechanical? Why can't it be like my heart? And in an instant, it was as if the Lord said, you got it, buddy. 
and it got really quiet in my own spirit, in my own mind. And I told Kathy, I think there's something wrong with my heart. And she said, we're talking about your brain. I said, it's my heart. A couple of weeks later, appointment with at Vanderbilt. We go in and see this neurologist. It's a sobering thing. I just turned 40. And when everybody's always like, how does it feel to be 40? It's like, well, when you've been at the Vanderbilt Stroke Clinic, when you're 37, it feels great. You know, it's amazing how good it feels. Because, you know, you've seen all these people with walkers crutching around, you know, and you're thinking, that's me in five years. You know, what's going on? And that day uh, the neurologist came in and he said, sir, you've had three strokes. I said, I've had two. He goes, no, they missed one. You had one in your brainstem. That's why your balance is all goofy and you're all messed up. Okay. I said, I'm here because they said I had catacill disease. He goes, you don't have catacill disease. I said, hold up. What do you mean? He goes, no, no, no. That'd be in the front of the brain. I treat eight people with that right now. You don't have it. I can, I can tell you. Right, we don't need to run a test. We don't, you do not have catacill disease. Well, I mean, I, we just broke down. And then he said, I want to check out your heart. A lot of times people your age... There's something weird goes on. You may remember the football player, Teddy Bruschi. He played for the New England Patriots. Maybe a little old for you, but was when we were maybe in college and, you know, kind of that, that, that thing, great linebacker. Yeah. Wins a Super Bowl, plays in the, uh, I guess, the Pro Bowl, and the next day has a devastating stroke. Made it back. What it was, he had a hole in his heart. From birth, I had had a hole in my heart. Happiest day of my life was when I found out I had a hole in my heart because it explained everything. My body was throwing blood clots to the left side of my heart. That were That's like a highway to your brain. And they would go in and, and basically explode in your brain, blocking something right there. So July 28th of... But he also said, didn't he, didn't he, wasn't he pretty optimistic that you would regain function? Those, yeah. It wasn't debilitating to the point where yeah. you were going to keep having... Um, that's right. Emotional or control issues, or double vision, and that's right. Numbness. Yeah, and and that that was a huge thing because he we ran through some modality testing, and at that point, the big the big thing that I was having issue when you when you have a stroke, everybody will describe it a little bit differently, but for me, it felt like you took a nap that was way too long, and when you woke up, you just, I mean, you're there, but you just kind of can't get it right. But the, my left eye was most heavily affected through the entire thing. I didn't, I didn't lose the strength, the coordination and balance stuff came back. But July 28th, they went through the femoral arteries in my legs and patched a hole in my heart with a piece of Gore-Tex, and I haven't had a stroke since. So it was, it was an amazing time period. And it's funny because what I learned through and, – and, and, you know, maybe I'm all wrong on this – and and we'll get to heaven. The Lord will say, "No, nah, it wasn't what it was at all." But I really think there were several things at work in that that God was using. When we talk about God using all things to, together for those that love Him, called according to His purpose. Had I gone through the MS diagnosis and it had been no big deal and come out of it, I don't know that I would have gotten to the depths of peeling away some of the things that were really superfluous in my life that I didn't need, that I thought I needed. Um, you know, stuff, for instance. You you don't care about your next vacation when you've had a stroke. It's like, you know, whatever. I don't care if we ever go anywhere. I just, I'd like to be able to see today. You don't care about accolades. You don't – your job, while it was important to me, it 
it took a very big backseat to the time that I had with my family and my children. Uh, it changed me that way for sure. It made me more, uh, I think, compassionate towards people who are suffering. You you feel that diagnosis that they're getting. You know, you, you've been there. You actually have been there, and your wife has been there, and you, you know how it feels. Um, but I think I had to go through the full gamut of it. It took almost... Uh, ten months from start to finish for it to be, I guess, for, for the then to put the last you know closure on it to give us closure with our heart, and so it was a, a fascinating time period of our lives. The problem with leadership is that uh, we typically uh, want leaders to be strong in the face of our adversity, uh, because you don't want you know it doesn't matter what you you don't want your company uh, CEO to go to pieces when the news is bad. You know he's got to. He's got to have a clear and steady hand. And for most leaders, it's really funny. I know I'm very, very emotional. But when things get kind of rough and crazy and bad, uh, I get calm and focused. Uh, now, that you know, that's not personally, that's not in traffic. Or what I'm talking about an organization or a church or when there's bad times, you just sort of get calm and focused. And I think that's that's part of being a leader. You don't want a leader that's flying off the handle and bouncing around the room and in a panic. And because of that, uh, I think the tend- two things happened. Number one, the tendency is is to hide anything that might make you vulnerable because you feel like, well, if they see that I'm weak, they may not follow. The second thing is that when you're young or younger, uh, it's impossible to have sympathy. You can have empathy, but you haven't experienced anything. Yep. I remember the pressure I felt as a young pastor and I'd go to hospitals or try to do marital counseling, and I thought, I don't even know what they're talking about. You know, I'm, I'm 28, 30 years old. I, 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 what? How do I, I don't even know how to talk about this. And uh, it, it was very, very difficult, and I felt so uh, inadequate, you, you know, to, uh, to do that. So you've got empathy, the empathy-sympathy dichotomy on the one hand, and then you have this, this uh, drive and demand for leadership that uh, – you don't get. I don't think you can get comfortable with that when you're leading until you you are a little older. When I was in um, when I was in seminary in a pastoral uh, care, a, a pastoral ministry class, we read a uh, a book that's now famous, been out for years by a Catholic priest and Henry Nouwen, and it's called uh, the Wounded Healer. And what he says is, before you can really bring healing to anybody you yourself must have been wounded because that's what Jesus went through. Mm-hmm. He was despised, rejected. He suffered. He, he was disciplined by the father. He learned, you know, he, he learned through obedience, through his suffering and whatever. And what now said, of course, when I read that, you know, as a 25 year old, six year old, it, it, it didn't move me. It scared me because I thought, thought, well, I don't want to suffer. Well, what I didn't realize, and he probably says it, I hadn't read the book in years, but he probably says it, is that you're going to suffer. You're going to have betrayal, setbacks, heartbreaks, sickness, and whatever. It's going to be a part of your life as a leader because you're no different from anybody else. You have a different role. And so it doesn't really, uh, you know, doesn't really do much good to, to act like, you know, I'm big and strong and I'm focused and whatever. You just, you just have to be who you are in the middle of that. But I do think a lot of it is personality driven. Hmm. You know, 
how you're uh, raised and whatever. Well, listen, this has been good. Uh, I'm glad Jeff got to tell this story. I know I, I walked through it as a parent, and it, I can't imagine what he was going through. I just know what he, his mother and I went through and our own agony and uh, watching that. And his, his in-laws also went through. So if you're a leader today, let me just leave you with this. Uh, uh, you're you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. And so the question is, is can you use that suffering to, to build your character, build your ministry, uh, build your life? Because it, that's exactly what the Scripture says will happen if you do it in the right way. And when you suffer, you're going to be angry. You're going to be confused. You're going to be all of those things. Uh, and at the same time, you still got to go to work every day and be a leader. You know, you got to be a husband. You got to be a father and whatever. And uh, we all go through seasons and cycles and sometimes we're very, very effective, and sometimes we've got to hit pause and just take care of who we are. And there's always tons and tons of people ready to support you. All right, until next time, it's been good to be with you. And uh, keep listening and keep telling your friends to listen. Hey, thanks for everybody who says, hey, I listen. I wouldn't miss it. It's just awesome to have you on board with us. We'll see you next time. <laughs>